0: Can I, can I ask a serious question? <laughs> can, I, can I ask a serious question? And, I only, and I'm only asking the question because there's a sign that says Mike is our dad in the, in the balcony. What, what happens to your box sleds after the competition's over? Like, like do you take them home? Do you burn them? You compost them. Okay, I just, I just, I realized that they had a sign with no house, and I was like, wait a minute, what did they do with that immaculate house? Uh, just wondering. That, that had nothing to do with anything that I'm going to say from here on out. Um, so what we see at the, end of the, at the end of the story is we see a little bit of an awkward ending. Like, We don't get this really great resolution. We don't like the story doesn't end like really buttoned up really well. It really the Lord makes a statement to Jojo or the gardener makes a statement to Jojo like if you had my heart you would be happy and then we don't see it what happens next. And that's not just because they ran out of script. Um, That's because when we what we're going to read today in Jonah chapter four also has somewhat of an awkward open ending. And so I want to dive into that because the reality is as you end your time at winter camp, it, it may not be awkward, but it is an open ending. This is not the end of the story. The reality is that you are going to get in a vehicle and you are going to make your way back down to the mountain. And when you get back down to the mountain, you're going to enter back into the real world. The, re- the reality is uh, there's other than Nineveh that might be in our hearts, there's very little Nineveh here. Most of the people here, even if they didn't, even if you came and you didn't uh, come worshiping Jesus, some of you made an incredible decision last night to follow Jesus. Others of you, maybe even if you hadn't made that decision, you are at least not trying to be um, an enemy towards those who, who are following after Jesus. And so this doesn't feel that much like Nineveh. But getting back down the mountain, going back into your community, for some of you walking back into the front door of your house, for others of you going to school tomorrow, sorry that I had to be the bearer of bad news that you have to go to school tomorrow. Um, sorry, sorry. That felt like a very dad thing to do and I apologize for that, but like it's coming for you. Um, it, it, it may, you may have to go, you may have to go to So that reality is coming. And so if this is not the end, that means there's more story to live out. And in the same way, we're gonna see the, the end of what we know of Jonah's story, but there's some space here to say, okay, where's it gonna go from here? And so my hope, my responsibility is I want to do what I can to equip you that when you get back into the real world and when maybe you get back to walking into Nineveh, that you, don't, that you feel like you can operate in a way that you don't look like Jonah, but you look like you have the heart of the Lord. And so let me pray for us and we'll jump into Jonah chapter four uh, and end our time together again. But before I do that, let me say this. A couple of things. Um, I will be uh, packing up the truck and, and leaving with my family right after this. And so I just want to tell you guys, I love you guys. And I am... Again, just, just remember me in June. Just remember me in June. But second of all, I want to say this. I, I think can't, this, week, this weekend has been incredible. And I had a mentor that one time told me that you will only preach and lead to the level of the hunger of the people that you're in the room with. And so thank you guys for being hungry. Thank you guys for wanting more of Jesus. Thank you guys for saying, man, I'm in. I want to worship. And, and like you're approaching, worshiping Jesus with the same energy that you're approaching going down a tube run in your box sled with. All right, that's awesome. I'm grateful for you guys. And so I may not get to say that to each and every one of you. So let me say it to all of you as I can before we jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Uh, Grateful for these students. Grateful for these leaders. Grateful for these pastors. uh, Grateful for this uh, Hume team. Lord, I, I, I don't have the ability to name all the names of just watching people whose hearts are after you and how it's played out, whether it's the way that meals have been conducted or this production or um, people, you know, I, I can even think about the, uh, the team, the AV team, like Jackson and those guys, like, like, like they never get looked at until something goes wrong and we, they haven't got looked at all week because they've nailed it over and over again. Thank you for the the worship team and the way that they have led, not just on the stage, but when they've been walking around at meals, different ways they've interacted. And so, Lord, I'm grateful for what you've done here. But I also recognize there's a responsibility to be prepared for what comes next. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you ready our hearts that as we um, get closer to Nineveh, that we would handle it better than Jonah did? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen? Jonah chapter four, starting in verse one, would say this do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, he would see what would become of the city. Now we'll read more from there, but I, just, I wanna stop in this moment and, and I wanna capture what's happening with Jonah. Jonah, uh, uh, this is uh, just on the end of watching what happens in chapter three, where when he uh, gives a really, I don't want to say watered down, but certainly not a full message of the mercy of God. And there, the response of Nineveh is, let's stop the presses. We need to go before the Lord in fasting and and repentance, and maybe if we turn away from our evil, maybe the Lord will turn away from the wrath that we deserve, and the Lord does. And if you are somebody who fears the God of sea and land and believes that he's able to take people who were your enemies and make them part of the family, that should be space for celebration. And Jonah's response is he throws a temper tantrum. Uh, I know that feels like I, I'm, I'm insulting Jonah and treating him like a, like a child, but literally he says to the Lord, because you did this, I don't want to live. This is like a toddler saying, okay, if you don't give me that popsicle, I'm going to hold my breath. I'm like, like you know you're going to pass out at the end of this, right? Like that, that didn't work that way. But there's this feeling in him that the Lord has been unfaithful. And here's what he says. I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want to come in the first place. And then he says something, that I knew that you were gracious, that I knew that you were slow to anger, bounding in a steadfast love, compassionate, or merciful is the way that this text says it. And that's not just him making up some things to describe God. He's actually quoting something that's said more often about God than maybe any other thing in all the scriptures. So here's where it comes from. In the book of Exodus, uh, we've, we've referred to it a lot. And I think it's, it's important to see those two things together because what you see is before the people of God knew fully how to operate with God, they weren't that different than the rest of the world either. And so here's what happens. Um, the Lord has shown up. He's delivered them. He's moved on their behalf. In fact, they have been around this mountain and he says, I delivered you as if you were on eagle's wings. And so, therefore, I, you will be my people; I will be your God. But to do that, I need you to live this way. And this is where they get the Ten Commandments. And then, after the Ten Commandments, there are three more chapters of if the, the Ten Commandments is kind of the general idea, that everything afterwards is like the specific case study of how you how this applies. So, with that going on, they hear this from the Lord. And they're like, "We got this. We're in, Lord." And then the next thing they do is they melt all of their jewelry into this golden cow, and they start dancing and worshiping around a golden cow. Like, they don't make it 30 days. Like, it's pretty quick that they go from, we honor you and you alone, Lord, to turning their hearts to something that they made of their, their selves to worship. And let me just say to you, it's silly to worship something that you have mastery over. Like, if you're more powerful than the thing that you worship, you're already in trouble because when something goes bad, they're going to sit on the couch and look at you and be like, I don't got any power. I thought you had this. (laughs) The other thing that's interesting about what they do is that they build this cow. And what we find out is that's a symbol of the way that the Lord sees them that you become the thing that you worship. Because the the interesting thing about a cow is that um, you know what cows aren't? Cows aren't agile. And so, like, when a cow has to turn around, like, a cow turns its complete body because it's hard for a cow to turn its head. Like, um, if you live in rural communities, don't be the kids in the middle of the night that go, like, cow tipping. Because it's not easy for cows to get up off their side. Some of you are like, when we get back. Don't do that. I'm not giving you ideas. I'm trying to help you see the scripture. (laughs) Cows are not agile. And so when they, were, when they build this golden calf, it's actually, it shows something in their hearts that and God would often say, you are a stiff-necked people because you become what you worship. So here's what happens. The Lord, uh, Moses, comes down the mountain, sees what they've done. He destroys the golden calf, melts it down into dust, puts it in their water, and makes them drink it. Right? I don't know. Apparently not because they all lived. And then he goes back on the mountain, and as mad as Moses is, the Lord's like, I'm done with y'all. And Moses is like, Whoa, whoa. Like, I thought we were doing good cop, bad cop here. I thought I was going to come in as bad cop, you were going to come in as good cop. And the Lord's like, No. If I stay with you, I'm going to have to destroy you all. So you can go where I promised, but you don't get my presence. And Moses is like, I don't, no. We don't want to go if we don't get your presence. And the Lord relents. And then Moses like, well, I mean, since we're having a conversation, I guess since I got your attention, you're on the line. Hey, can I, can I see your glory? And so the Lord allows him to go up on a mountain. And when the Lord allows him to go on the mountain, the Lord's glory is so strong that he couldn't see it and live. And so the Lord covers him up and walks by. And what he hears being said about the Lord is the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is not said about anybody else in the scriptures. It's only a description of God, but it shows up the first time when the people don't deserve mercy, and they don't deserve grace, and they don't deserve the slowness of God's anger, and they certainly don't deserve this commitment of love that will not fail even when their love has failed. So Jonah's problem is not just that the Lord did what he said he was going to do. Jonah's deeper problem is that the Lord is treating Nineveh the same way that he treated his people. And there's a problem on both sides. One, Lord, there's no way that they can be like us because we're supposed to be a distinct people. But here's the problem on the other side. Lord, there's no way that you can see us like them. It's it's, it's offensive to me that you would say that I'm like those people over there. But the truth of every single one of us, and we've been saying it all week long, is that we are all Nineveh. And we who follow Jesus are just on the other side of receiving his mercy. And Jonah can't wrap his arms around that. And so he says to the Lord, I would rather be dead than watch you be gracious. And the Lord's response is, do you do well to be angry? And here's the thing. The Lord asks a lot of questions that he already knows answers to. And he's not asking questions because he's like, Hey, could you, could you help me figure this out? He's asking disruptive questions that make you slow down and say, well, wait a minute. Maybe you have somebody in your life that does that. Maybe you have somebody in your life that, when you are kinda just, just going off the deep end in your anger or going a certain direction, and they ask you, hey, is that really true? And you don't want them to ask you if what your feelings about that other person is true, because truth can't get in the way of a good, good rant. Like, that disruptive question slows you down enough to think about, okay, wait a minute, what's really going on? And so he asks Jonah the question, does it make sense for you to be mad? Like, is this actually good for you to be mad at me showing my grace? Is it actually good for you to be mad that I transformed these people that were this brutal empire that didn't worship me and that would have disregarded you and now they've become a people who have turned away from their evil and want me to uh, not relent from the disaster? Like that's actually what we're in this for, right? Like does it make sense for you to be mad that I did what I actually said that I was going to do? And so Jonah takes his ball and goes outside the city, builds a booth, And says, I'm going to sit here and watch and wait to see if you're going to destroy them. And here's what happens, starting in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Man, mean, it feels like he's only got one trick in his bag, right? Like, And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now here's what's interesting. Jonah's having this temper tantrum, goes and sits outside the city in a booth and is just standing there, and with the Lord, being slow in anger, gracious, abounding in steadfast love, says, hey, I'm gonna give you a parable, an illustrated lesson a story with an intent to show you something about who I am and something about who you are. And overnight, this plant grows up and covers him, and it says that he's exceedingly glad that he's received this this shade, this comfort from the Lord. And then we're watching this series of things that just reminds us that the Lord accomplishes his purposes because he appoints a plant and it grows. And then he appoints a worm, and it, and it begins to uh, internally destroy the structure of the plant. And then he appoints a wind, and it, and it makes the plant fall apart. And so everything that the Lord's speaking to, that it does what it's supposed to do. And we're reminded again that it's only the human heart that seems to want to rebel against the sovereignty of God. And in the midst of that, Jonah's sitting there and gets irate because his comfort is gone. And can I... Can I speak to you about something that I think is important for you to remember as you leave this place? I think uh, if you continue to grow in your understanding of the Lord, you're gonna see oftentimes in the scripture this language of idolatry. And I think when you hear that, you probably think about somebody having a figurine somewhere that they worship, and, and that is a brand of idolatry, but I think idolatry runs much deeper. Idolatry actually is anything that you would put your hope in in uh, contrast to Jesus as taking the place of Jesus. And I actually think that, like there's a, there's a million small idols, but I think there are actually four big ones that we run to. And so here are the four. Uh, the first one is approval. Wanting approval and worshiping approval can make you do some things and go some places that will destroy your life. Getting, wanting to get people to say, I, I see you as worthy, see you as good enough, see you as valuable enough to be a part of what I'm doing. That desire for approval can drive so many things, the way you dress, the way you talk, where you go, how you spend your money. Approval can rule you if, you, if it's your idol. Another one of those is control. Like we joke, right? Like We, we make it kind of a, like a characteristic of, of people that's kind of quirky, that like, man, you like to be in control but really it's this idol that I don't trust the Lord to run the world and so I need to control all of it. Or for some of us, it's power. I'll confess to you, my idol is power. And so power feels like everything is an assault against me and so I've gotta win every battle. And so a power idol person has to get the last word in the conversation. A power idol person has to win. A power idol person has to make sure that everybody else bows to the authority of their presence. They want to sit on the throne and they want everybody else to worship them. Power is an awful idol. But maybe the f- the fourth one is the idol of comfort. And I'll tell you, for the last two years, the world has upset our idol of comfort. For the last two years, it's been more difficult for us to do the things that brought us comfort than we normally do. And what it's probably exposed, I had a friend who would say that, that COVID was the great pause. I actually think COVID was the great reveal. Because I think it revealed some ways that we put some hope and we put some, uh, some exaltation to things that had, were just meant to be good gifts from God to provide us some comfort. And comfort became the point instead of the Lord becoming the point. And so the Lord strips away this comfort idol that Jonah has, and Jonah loses his mind. And the Lord asks another disruptive question. Do you do well to be angry about the plant? And the first time Jonah doesn't say anything. Jonah almost treats it like, man, I don't wanna have this conversation with you. The second time he's like, you know what? I am gonna answer your question. I am right to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. Like, Jonah, why do you want to die so bad, man? And the Lord says, well, help me understand. Did you plant the plant? Did you cultivate the plant? Did you, have any, did you have anything to do with how quickly the plant rose up or how quickly the plant went away? Like this plant was temporary and you've got all this pity, you've got all this emotion, all of this intent. Like you are burdened for this plant and you did nothing for it. It was actually a gift that was just given to you. How much more should I feel a burden for people made in my image who do not know the right from their left hand and people who are smarter than me who say some of that means uh, like just like a little kid, like it's, it's basic knowledge to figure out your right from your left. And he's saying they're that ignorant of the way to live. Others would talk about the right and the left being the difference between what's right and what's wrong and say they don't know what's right from what's wrong. Either way, the point that he's making is they are so naive and so uninformed that they can't live the way that I'm calling them to live. And shouldn't we have a burden for them more than some temporary plant that was just providing comfort for you? And then, oddly, he adds cattle to the end of that. And then the book ends. We don't know if Jonah goes back in the city and says, "Hey, sorry guys, I've been, I'm dealing with some stuff." We don't know if he gets back on a on a boat and goes back to Joppa and goes back to Israel. We have no idea what happens, but what we see is that though Jonah's received the mercy of God, his heart hasn't been transformed by God. And what my fear is for us is that for the last three days, we've been seeing, hearing, dealing with the mercy of God. But if we receive the mercy of God and we leave here the same, not burdened for others, then I think we've missed it. So I think there are two components to what we we see in Jonah's story. And if we get both of those, I think we get to be faithful witnesses to the Lord outside of this place. One of those is that we believe the Lord in what he says he's going to do. And the second is that we have a burden for the people he has a burden for. And I don't think it works if you have one and not the other. Because if you believe the Lord in what he's going to say that he's going to do, but you don't have a love and a burden for other people, then you're going to be like Jonah. You're going to be like, how dare you, Lord, save people? But if you don't believe what the Lord says he's gonna do and you have this burden for people, then you're gonna think that it's on you and it's gonna drive you insane because you're like, man, I told somebody about Jesus and I didn't get any results. This doesn't work, I quit. And so here's what I wanna do with the last few minutes. I just wanna give you some practical skills of sharing what the Lord's done for you with those who are around you. I think there's two categories. I think there are people that you know I think there are people that are perfect strangers. So with people that you know, I think there's a space for, especially if you've had a relationship with them for a long time, owning and apologizing to them that you haven't shared with them before about your relationship with Jesus. I've had people that I've had relationship with, played sports with, or spent time with because of whatever reason, that I was with them for months or maybe even years and never brought the conversation up about why I worship Jesus. And I had to start the conversation with saying, hey, my relationship with Jesus is really important to me and I haven't been a good friend because I haven't shared that with you. Imagine what it does in that person's heart when they hear you say, oh, I missed it. And your approach is humility and not this superiority that Jonah operates in. I think because people know you and they know your story, it's not necessarily the, the, this introduction of let me show you the journey that Jesus has taken me on, but it's inviting, inviting them into, man, this is what Jesus is doing in the midst of what you see from day to day. And so to be honest, and maybe, maybe even you come back from winter camp and you say, man, I had this experience with Jesus that reminded me what it is to follow him. And so I, I've often done this, but, but for me to, to follow Jesus better, I should do this. And then let me say to you, the results are not on you. Like at the end of the day, the scriptures never say you've only been faithful if you get X amount of people to come to follow after me. The scriptures say you are faithful that if the Lord asks you to do something that you step in and do it. And the results may be the results. Um, The book of Hebrews. uh, We don't talk about the book of Hebrews in its totality very often, we often talk about chapter 11. But chapter 11 is interesting because it begins to list these heroes of the faith. These people, these names that if you've been around church, if you've been in Sunday school, you would know and you would appreciate. And then it gets to a place where it says, but if you really wanna know the people that the, word is not, the world is not worthy of, it's the people that were sawn in two. It was the people that were beheaded. It was the people that wandered in the wilderness. And so this picture of faithfulness is not people that got results. It's people that followed the Lord even when it was difficult, and it didn't seem like the results came. So the goal for you in sharing your faith is not the number of people that you convert. It's you telling the story of the mercy of God for others who have not heard it. Now, maybe you, the other, the other category is strangers, especially when we're talking about Nineveh. I imagine that you're not, you don't have a good social relationship with Nineveh. Front yard gnomes don't hang out with backyard gnomes. And so what does it look like to have that conversation with, the, with a stranger? I want to give you a, a practical skill, and then I want to tell you a story. And so um, I want to give you a practical skill called a 15-second testimony. And you're like, 15 seconds? Is that like a five-word sermon? Like, is that going to be all that effective? And so it just has a few ingredients. I once was this, but, but then I met Jesus, and now I'm this. That's it. And so I'll give you an example. Somebody got to watch? Okay. Let's see if I can do this in 15 seconds. All right. All right. On your mark, get set. I was once insecure and driven by performance, but when I met Jesus, he let me know that I was loved and that I didn't need to earn anything. Do you have a story like that? And you could just as easily say, I was once addicted and fearful, but then I met Jesus. And he set me free and gave me courage. Do you have a story like that? And everybody has a story. And everybody's favorite story is their own story. And so you're inviting people into a conversation. And there's one of two answers to that question. No, I don't. Oh, well, can I tell you about Jesus and how he helps you to have a story like that? Or yes, I do. Can I hear your story? You could, you could walk, and here's what I, I want to encourage you to do. Some of you got a long bus ride home. You can practice. You can practice doing that over and over again. And I don't, I don't think like you start that way, right? Like I don't think you walk up to somebody at Starbucks and be like, hey, can you hand me some creamer? I was once. <laughs> <laughs> they will throw the creamer at you and run. But I do think that as you begin to build relationship with people, people always want to know your story. And here's an opportunity for you to give them a 15-second sampling of the story. And they may say, well, how does Jesus do that? Because Jesus forgave me of my sin. And you you get to enter into the conversation in a way that you weren't able to before. So here's my story. I gave you a plane story a few days ago. I have another plane story. Again, I told you, I don't like to have conversations on planes. And yet, I happen to always have these conversations on planes. And so it was the week of Thanksgiving and I had gone to Dallas to uh, preach at a church because I was supposed to preach at that church in July. And on my way to go preach at that church, my wife went into labor. And so I literally landed in the airport in Dallas, jumped on another airplane and flew back to Los Angeles. It was crazy because we land and I'm like, hey, can can I get my bag? And this lady was like, what's going on? I was like, my wife's having a baby. She was like, that's awesome. I was like, back in Los Angeles. She was like, oh, we just left there. Yes, I know. I know I'm halfway on the other side of the country. So I wasn't able to preach and so I had to make up for that. So literally from wheels up to wheels down, it was a 24 hour period. And I went in, went to my hotel, slept, woke up, preached three services, drove back to the, drove back to the airport, got an airplane, and was going home and was relieved to be on my way home. Glad that nobody else in my family decided to have children while I was on the plane. And I sit down and there's a lady sitting by the window watching football. Headphones on and I'm like my kind of people you don't want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. And as I'm in my seat, a guy is coming down the row fumbling his Panera bread chili, his bag. And this is, you know, uh, this is when Omicron is kind of flaring up. And so everybody still has to wear mask on planes. Can't figure out how to wear his mask. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, he's going to sit by me, isn't he? <laughs> and so he sits down. He's like, hey, man, I was like, hey. He's like, I guess we're sitting together. And like, just kind of starts unrolling his life. Yeah, like I grew up in Dallas, but I'm going back to LA and all this stuff's going on. I was like, all right, that's awesome, man. He's like, can you hold my chili for me? Yeah, I guess I can hold your chili for you. And so we start having conversation and he just starts talking and he says to me, yeah, man, like flying is really a trip when you're on Xanax. I was like, wait a minute, what? And so I was like, okay, I'm just, gonna, just gonna try and make it through, this'll be okay. I look over at this lady and her name's Katie and she's like drumming on her thumb incessantly. And so I said, hey Katie, are you, are you nervous? Do you not like flying? She's like, I hate it. She's like, but I have to do it often for work. I'm in the Air Force. To which I'm like, you may have picked the wrong line of work. She's like, I'm an attorney for the Air Force. I don't actually fly. I was like, okay, that makes more sense. And so I said, oh man, I, I, I'm sorry. I was like, I, just, I promise you, we'll be okay. And so then I turned to this guy and I say, I, I guess you don't like flying, that's why you're on Xanax. And he's like, no, I just like Xanax. And I was like, what is happening right now? Lord, what are you doing? And so he looks at me and he was like, "And what are you in Dallas for? I was like, well, I'm in Dallas for work. And he was like, are you in the, are you in the fashion industry? No, I'm, 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 I'm not. And so I was like, no, I'm actually in ministry. He's like, oh, you're religious. I got a question for you. What do you think happens to animals when they die? I was like, at this point, I am on like some kind of show. And this is going to air somewhere. And I was like, all right, man, if we're going to do this, let's do this. I was like, the difference between you and an animal is that you have a a sentient soul. That is a responsibility to the Lord, where an animal is not the same way. So some of you, if you're like, wait a minute, but I thought all dogs go to heaven. Disney lied to you. And so so there is this wrestle of with you as as a soul that's been given to you by the Lord. Are you going to live a life in such a way that honors the Lord's ownership over you? And so he's like, oh. And so we get into this intense conversation about eternity and the Lord and all of these things. And Katie sitting next to us, I'm like, man, I'm sorry, this is weird. You're like in theology corner. She's like, no, this is great. And so we're having a conversation as a row about what the Lord's doing. And then he passes out. No, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not making that up. Like, to the degree where I, I had to climb over him to go to the restroom. So I climb over him, and the flight attendants stop me before I go to the restroom, and they say, hey, can we have a conversation with you? The way that you've handled this has been so loving and gentle, the way that you've taken care of him. Now, let me just say something. Like, when I think of attributes that I want to be described of as a man, gentle is not in the top 1,000. Right? Like, if you're an athlete, like, nobody wants to be like, man, the way that he tackled that guy was gentle. It's just not a thing. But you know who else is described as gentle? Jesus, who would say, I'm gentle and lowly. My yoke is easy. and My burden is light. Like the way that I care for you is gentle. And so what I heard, even though the stewardess didn't, or the, the flight attendant didn't have this, this uh, maybe theological build out, and she said to me, you're acting like Jesus towards this young man. Thank you. And so as we continue to go down the flight, like literally the pilot is talking to the flight attendants and the flight attendants are saying, Hey, here's what we want you to do for this young man, because we're not sure that he's going to be like, they gave me responsibility over this guy because of the way that I was conducting myself in the situation. At the end of it, he wakes up and he says, Hey man, it was great sitting with you. I guess I'll see you somewhere in eternity. I'm like, Oh, is that what we're doing? I was like, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll just see each other around LA. But, but hopefully I do see you in eternity because you trust in Jesus. I'm walking off the plane and this lady walks up to me and she's like, I watched this whole thing. My husband's a pastor and his heart would be so encouraged that you love this man the way that Jesus loves you. And so sometimes the question is not, is the Lord calling you to go after this person? Sometimes it's not, do you have the right skills? Sometimes it's who's sitting next to you that's eligible to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you have both the skills and you know a God that's able to change lives. And my prayer is that he's developing this burden in you that when you sit next to that person and they begin to ask you questions like, what happens to animals after they die? That you say, okay, you cracked the door. Me and the spirit are coming through. So I want to encourage you that as you go back down the mountain, that the Lord has an assignment for you, people that you already know, but also people maybe that you've never even heard of. But can I just confess to you? If I could pick my scenario, I would not be sitting on a seat on a plane next to somebody who just likes Xanax. (laughs) But the Lord gave me the grace to sit next to him and talk about Jesus and embody Jesus. And can I encourage you to do both? Don't talk about it if you're not willing to be about it. But I'll also say to you, don't assume that just being about it is enough. Like, people might think that you're a generally nice person, but if they don't know that you are what you are because of Jesus, because you didn't proclaim Jesus, then you missed an opportunity. Maybe you've heard this quote, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I just want to tell you that it's always necessary to use words. And so talk about who he is, but also embody who he is. To the world around you. So in a moment, you get to break out as churches. And I love that for you guys, because part of what you get to do is you don't get to, get to hear the story of the people that were in your cabin. You get to hear how the Lord's been moving through your entire youth group or entire group of people that came. And maybe part of the conversation that you guys have together is, what, is, what does it look like for us to grow in this together? What does it look like for us to be accountable together of, okay, Lord, there are people that we know that you want us to share the gospel with, but there are also people maybe that we don't know, but how do we make ourselves ready for that opportunity? How do we practice our 15-second testimony? How do we grow in the ability to hear what people are saying and say, that's an opportunity that the Spirit's given me right there. I'm gonna take it. So I wanna pray for you that as the Lord sends you from this place, that just like everything else in the story of Jonah, that because he's appointed you, that you'll fulfill his purposes. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for my little brothers and little sisters in this room. Um, even throughout this weekend, I've got to just see um, just the fun parts of their personality. Lord, you wired that way them that way for specific reasons so you could use that to reach people who do not know you. And so, Lord, would you give them confidence that you are able to do what you say that you do because you are who the scriptures say you are. You are gracious, merciful, steadfast in your abounding love, and slow to anger. And so, Lord, would they be convinced that you are able to transform Nineveh's and Ninevites into people who follow after you? But, Lord, would they also have a burden for that to happen? Even now as we pray together, Would you bring names and faces to mind? Maybe it's family members, maybe it's friends, maybe for those who are old enough to work, it's coworkers, or maybe it's teammates. Lord, maybe there's also people that come to mind that when I speak of Nineveh, that fall in the category of people they would never wanna have a relationship with. And Lord, would you give them the grace and the burden to be attentive to when they hear those people speak, to be able to lean in and say, Here's who I once was, and because of Jesus, now I'm able to be this, and hear their story as well. And so, Lord, for every single one of these students, for every single one of these leaders, you have given them a grace to be placed somewhere specific that you might want to use them. Would they respond to the call faithfully? It's in your name I pray. Amen.